Every journey begins with a single step. For many, the first step is the greatest challenge. Yet for all, the obstacles, the doubt, and conviction teach us about ourselves. It's these moments in life, a test of our abilities, our mind, when we don't know, but we still proceed. Driven by the unspoken, but ignited by the obsession that yields some of life's greatest lessons and rewards. Join me as we explore incredible stories of leaders forging industries, enterprises, and ultimately, themselves. I'm your host, Adam Geary, and welcome to Capital Class. Let's begin. Classmates, welcome to today's show. Today, we're joined by a legend of learning in his own right. An entrepreneur that recognized the need to return to a core competency of education, fun. Of the fondest memories of education are often centered around the excitement of learning, laughter of peers, the field trip, the inspirational educator. As our world has changed and learning more individualized and in many ways solo, a market need has emerged. Infuse education with entertainment to improve the content mastery and engagement. On today's episode of Capital Class, we're joined by Sandy Roskis, co-founder of Legends of Learning, and now VP of District Partnerships at Hooked on Phonics. Sandy, welcome to Capital Class. Thank you, Adam. Great to be here. You know, it's a unique story. The vision for gamification and education well ahead of the metaverse, well ahead of kind of where where we are now, well ahead of even when crypto became, you know, the kind of tokenization. You got to tell us, what were the early days like as you started to press into this market with Legends of Learning? Yeah, that's a great question, Adam. I mean, the things that we saw coming together at the time was um, the confluence of a number of things. We were getting um, technology into the classroom in a pretty pervasive way. Um, and we had, um, you know, internet, Wi-Fi was becoming very pervasive. Those are obviously, you know, must-haves for bringing game-based learning into, into classrooms. Um, and then there were also some gaming technologies, things like Unity, that um, really democratized the production of games and game development. Um, and all those things were sort of the, the building blocks, the, the, the required pieces for us to, to really, you know, bring this vision to fruition. And, um, you know, we saw those coming together and founded the company in 2016. Are you yourself an engineer? I mean, what, what brought you to this market? Yeah, so I'm a, I have a civil engineering background, so I'm an engineer technically by training, but I'm not a software engineer. Um, you know, my co-founders and I are really mission-driven entrepreneurs. So, you know, we identify new opportunities, disruptive opportunities in um, spaces that, you know, really can bring some societal good to bear and, and also are really good business opportunities. Um, so that was the, that's sort of where our heads were, were at. We all grew up in the, in the video game era. Uh, I'm from the eighties. Um, <laughs> you know, I remember arcades and Atari and even Odyssey before Atari. Um, and so we sort of grew up with games and really understood at a very core level how engaging they could be. And so, um, you know, those were kinds of the, the, the personal impulses that led us to, to start the company. I would imagine when you started your early vision, there were folks who got it immediately, 
but 2016 isn't that long ago, but in the education space, it feels like it's light years ago with how much has changed devices, internet connectivity, the expectation of what learning looks like. I mean, it, it feels like the market is so far evolved from when you must have started. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. I mean, I think, and obviously COVID happened in the intervening years, which, yeah. you know, sort of added another layer to the, the use of technology in classrooms and outside of classrooms. Um, yeah, when we first started, there was a bit of skepticism around, you know, bringing video games into, into classrooms. Um, we sort of knew that from the beginning that that might be one of our uh, you know, that, that could be an objection or an obstacle to, to market entry. So before we founded the company, we actually partnered with Vanderbilt University to do a study um, to really assess the efficacy of game-based learning, um, the use of games of, you know, sort of discrete curriculum line games in the classroom. Um, and um, it showed great results and that, that, that uh, research was actually published. And so when we came to market, we came to market not only with you know, our early platform, but also research that demonstrated the efficacy of games. And so we could point to that. Um, that's not to say that there weren't skeptics then. There are today. I mean, obviously in education, there's lots of debates about almost everything. Um, and certainly there's still uh, debates about any pedagogy and certainly the use of games. But, um, you know, if you can bring something objective, something that's rigorous, um, we've since done some additional studies as well. Um, that have been, that have been published also that, that, you know, demonstrate efficacy. And that, that really is, is the, the key tool to, to winning people over. That's a very nuanced approach for a startup company to have that sort of awareness of mind to go get a research back study. A lot of the companies that come to us, they have great ideas, incredible passion, but that's kind of where it ends. Right. And for our market, that's too nascent. You know, we, we serve as third party validators and we can't certainly walk in with something that's just that that's all they have. You know, that was, that must've profoundly put you in a different box when, when you can walk in with a nationally recognized institution and the research behind it. Yeah, no, that was, it was extremely significant. I mean, you know, honestly, at, we we did that study right off the bat for a couple of reasons. Number one, we wanted to prove it to ourselves. You know, um, we as I said, we're mission driven entrepreneurs, so we want to we want to build businesses and build lasting businesses, but we want to make sure we can have an impact. And if we weren't convinced of it from the beginning, you know, I don't know that we would have started the company. Um, it was really, you know, it was really when we saw the results of that study that we said, okay, we're on the right track, and helped us sort of refine some of our ideas. And that really was the impetus to, to really launch the company. In the early days, what was a common misconception that it was just play? That's definitely one. Um, I mean, everybody intuitively accepts that video games are engaging for almost everybody. Um, even, you know, we talk to, to people about it and we, you know, they're like, well, I'm not really a gamer. And then, you know, we say, oh, pull out your phone, you know, let me see some of the apps and you'll see Candy Crush on there. Oh, do you like playing Wordle? You know, these are games. People, people then realize, oh yeah, I do like games. They're very engaging. Um, once they sort of expand from thinking about just, you know, you know, uh, civilization or some, you know, famous game, you know, that, that they, they were not necessarily playing. Everybody plays some sort of game. So yeah, it's, it's intuitively um, obvious to people that games are engaging. The question is, you know, can you, can you learn from it? Um, I think the other 
you know, and so that's where our studies, efficacy, and really being willing to to try it out in districts, um, have MC for themselves, what the results were going to be. Those are the kinds of things that got us over that hump. I think the other maybe not necessarily misconception, but confusion is between gamification and game-based learning. You know, gamification is really about rewarding um, people, kids in this case, um, for, you know, completing some tasks successfully or, or, or engaging in some behavior that we want. We offer a reward. Um, and that's great. And we have plenty of that on our platform. But the crux, the, the you know, sort of the core content that we have on there are actual video games that instruct that they you know the the instructional material is embedded within the game the game is the lesson um as opposed to simply rewarding you after the fact for doing the lesson so um i think that's another um distinguishing factor of legends of learning um and you know it's very very meaningful i think when people understand that when they see oh it's not just that we're doing a digital worksheet and providing a reward these are actual games that kids are engaged in as they're learning and that that's where the real power is because I think that's part of the market differentiator. Even as crypto started gaining traction in the gaming education space, it was, it was the, I guess to use your definition, it was for gamification. It was, they would do something and receive a monetary award for it. You've actually built a game-based platform that infuses education. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, uh, on the Legends platform, there's thousands of games that cover, you know, that take, you know, five to 15 minutes to play and they cover a very discrete topic. Um, you know, it might be about photosynthesis or about, um, you know, adding fractions or things like that. They're very, very narrow topics. Um, and, but they are, they actually provide instruction within the game itself. Um, and so kids are engaged in the lesson in a way that it's very hard to compete with. It's very hard to, to, to offer a student or an adult in many cases, something that's more engaging than a video game. When you think about kind of the evolution of the market, right? Like I, I think of iReady, right? And just having spent so many years with that company, my first time on an iReady platform, we were doing mathematics, uh, but it was, and I, I don't know, it was cats. It was like counting cats. It was it was to kind of show us how the system worked. And their their challenge at the time was having people take them seriously, right? That that was learning, which you you experienced. But also, there were students that were power users that wanted to be on the platform, and they would go home and say, "Yeah, well, how was school?" They're like, oh, I just sat on a computer all day, and so mom and dad were not happy. Right. But in, in the same, in the same lens, were they learning, you know, and that kind of gets lost, right. It's like, it's, it's, it's a, it's almost a, a delicate balance. Yeah, it is. I think, I mean, I, you know, I and everybody that I've worked with at, at both legends and hooked to do not, um, do not believe in, screen time all the time or game-based learning all the time. It's not the only medium. And in both of those companies, um, we offer and recommend offline materials to um, that could even form 
the the core of the lesson and actually the game-based learning piece is you know just one aspect of the lesson so um you know i'm a big believer that you know there's you know kids learn first of all kids learn in different modes obviously different kids have different types of you know are are um you know different you know different types of learning kinesthetic learning visual learning everybody you know kind of has different types of learning that they're that that they are most successful with but everybody also needs different modes in to learn and so um there always needs to be a hands-on piece there always needs to be you know you know even pencil and paper um um there there just needs to be non-screen time, no quite most of the time, frankly, you know, that you should be doing something other than games. That's why, you know, Legends of Learning, the games are typically five to 15 minutes long. They might serve as, um, you know, an exit ticket um, or an extension activity or something like that. Um, it's not, it's not online all the time. Nobody here is advocating that. Do you find your teachers are using it in a gamification model, right? You finish your lesson and you do some, legends or are they embedding it? I mean, what's the normal structure? Very flexible. So uh, that's, that's a, a good example, uh, you know, an extension activity. Um, it could also be for remediation after class, you know, something to, you know, you need extra practice. Um, some use, some use these uh, platforms for tier one instruction. Um, it really forms a core part of the lesson. Um, some use it for homework, you know, extra practice at home. It's, these are the ideas to, build things that are um, sort of discrete and can be, you know, slotted in and utilized in a variety of different ways. Um, and the way you do that is, you, you, you know, you offer other materials around the, you know, around your curricular content that helps teachers learn, okay, how do I integrate this into a lesson? Give me other lesson ideas. Um, and by making it really easy to use, you know, to make it, you know, it's, it's really important that, you know, if you want teachers in the classroom or out of the classroom to adopt a digital product, it, it really has to be easy to implement um, and easy to use in different ways. And th those are things that, um, you know, we put a lot of thought into. When you think about it now, and, and if you can share, how many students would you say are like daily users of Legends? I mean, they're, we don't really publish those numbers, but lots and lots and lots. I mean, you know, thousands. Legends touched as uh, millions, uh, you know, millions. Legends has okay. millions of kids. Yeah. In the early days, you probably had a hundred. Yeah. I remember getting the first, you know, even 50 teachers to use the platform <laughs> uh, back in the early 2017. Yeah. Um, uh, Legends of Learning launched, uh, you know, sort of did its public launch at um, NSTA in 2017, the National Science Teachers Association conference, because the first suite that Legends launched with was actually middle school science way back when. Um, and uh, nobody had ever heard of Legends of Learning at that time. Um, we, uh, you can still find videos of that event, though. We, um, yeah, I know Legends gave away capes and um, at the booth and did a flash mob and, you know, all sorts of things. You know, the, the whole idea, you know, it sounds attention grabbing, but the, uh, and it was, but the idea was to live and breathe engagement, not just to have the games engage students, but for the, for everybody to, you know, the sort of entire community to be engaged with Legends of Learning. So, um, and to have, you know, teachers really excited about it. And that, that 
you know, everything that legends of learning does even today is, is really about engaging the entire community in game-based learning. Now you left a paying job to start this business, correct? Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. I know. I'm, I mean, like you leave a job, you're starting a product in an industry that kind of exists, right? In, and I, again, it's hard to believe it, but seven years ago, this was an outlier industry, right? This was not commonplace. Those are those kind of foundational moments, the kind of idea to enterprise moments that we talk a lot about on the show. When, when you think back, the progress made, how, how do you measure it? How do you like what, what, when you think, take inventory of how far you've come? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the main way you measure it is with through, through impacts, right? So we actually, and we can see this, um, you know, you could, you could see results both on the platform and in test results, um, from districts, um, you know, that, that use, you know, these products and, you know, that's really the way you measure it. So it's the number of people that you touch, you know, sort of times the impact, um, that you have, and that's really how you measure success. And on a personal level. Yeah. I mean, personally, it's like seeing, you know, building something from scratch is, you know, really, you know, the most fulfilling things there, that, that there is really, you know, start, starting with an idea, um, you know, sort of building that idea out, developing, uh, you know, an MVP, you know, minimum viable product, sort of testing it, really trying to identify product market fit, tweaking it, you know, adjusting it, figuring out, okay, you know, you need this extra content or these features, or, you know, you need to position it differently or what have you to really get that product market fit and then take it to market and see the impact. I mean, that's really what's fulfilling about being an entrepreneur. I mean, that's the case in any in any industry, I mean, I've, you know, started businesses in, you know, three or four different industries. Um, education is great because you can really see again the impact on students on the next generation. That's, you know, I have kids myself, so it's a very fulfilling um, industry to work in. But but that process of, you know, really bringing something to life. I mean, I think that's what motivates entrepreneurs. Definitely what motivates me. Um, and um, yeah, there's nothing better than then seeing seeing you know, seeing how it impacts the world and your, your, your user base. It's, it's the best feeling. You know, you, you mentioned kind of this birthing of an idea into what now serves millions of kids. And the gap between that moment and the initiation is, is doubt, right? Concerns, questions, just kind of this, this chasm of the unknown. And then you eventually move to a place where it's time for you to move on. Like walk me through that process. I mean, I, I don't know that I could, I don't even know when that, that day will come, uh, how hard that may be for something that I might, I can empathize with, understand it becomes a part of you, right? The business is somewhat you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that that uh, you know, every startup, certainly successful startups, face um, sort of succession planning and how you, you know, recognize when it's time to 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 move on or to hand things over. I mean, you know, what I really enjoy is that starting up piece, that creating from scratch and really, you know, entering uh, you know, a market with a new product, 
Um, you know, that's what sort of always really excites me. Um, you know, Legends, um, I had a variety of different roles, but the core one was really building up the sales um, and support teams and, and bringing, you know, sort of bringing it into the market and supporting it. And once we got to a certain sort of scale, it, it just felt like it was a good time to, you know, really hand that over to, um, you know, somebody that could really take it forward to the next level and, um, you know, really try to start the next thing, which, you know, was really what I was put on this planet to do. I think it's powerful to know what you like and what you just kind of tolerate. I, th I see a lot of founders that they enjoy the process that you just described and their businesses become recognizable, financially solvent, you know, they, they grow and they continue on in the growth of the business, but their learning and their growth almost has an inversion point where it's not as fun. They're not learning as much, but they're stuck. I just think it's incredibly bold to know when it's time to go. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. I think it's, it's, um, it could be really hard for founders to understand that. Um, I think that, um, you know, you really have to be in touch with yourself and what it is that you really enjoy and what you, you know, where you really add the most value. Um, and, um, you know, I think, you know, life is short. So like, you want to really decide, okay, am I, am I doing every day what it is that I want to be doing? Um, and if not, then, you know, it can be, it, it is a difficult and gut-wrenching process to, to sort of come to terms with that and then to take action, um, you know, and in this case, bring on, you know, the best people that can, that can take it forward, make it sure it's successful. You know, I'm still very invested in it. <laughs> so, um, you know, you really, really want it to succeed. And, um, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's true. I think, you know, succession, founder succession in every industry is, uh, is a key challenge, um, you know, that entrepreneurs, investors, you know, board members really need to, you know, think about it and plan for very well. I think the other part of it that is really important is what you mentioned, this kind of finality of time, right? That there, we all have such, we're, we're kind of trading time for something. And I, I think a lot of founders, their, their business becomes their persona, right? Their business is everything. They introduce themselves, right? I'm such and such. And I work at this business or I founded this business or I built this business. And we talk a lot about energy as an asset, right? We're, we're kind of, how do you manage that energy? And, and I think I'd ask you, like, how do you recharge? Like, you know, you, you, you leave a business to go work at another business. You didn't leave a business to go sit on the beach. Like, obviously this excites you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see my identity as a business builder, right? So, um, and not necessarily a particular business, right? Like, so I've, you know, both co-founded and helped start or joined at an early stage um, companies, you know, or spun out new businesses from within a company. Um, and that's really the stage that I'm very good at and that, you know, where I can really add value. And so, um, you know, that's how I see my identity as opposed to tied to a particular business. It's not that I'm not loyal to them, but obviously I still stay very close with all the businesses that I've, you know, helped start and then, um, you know, moved on to. And I'm usually, you know, pretty 
explicit with people. I mean, here's really where I can, you know, add the most and, um, and, you know, really be very cognizant of understanding, okay, you know, you know, we're trying to go, I mean, building a startup is like going up a staircase, right? You got to go, you know, you want to get to the top of the staircase, but you get to the top of the staircase by going up one stair after another. Okay. It's milestones that you're trying to hit. Um, and, you know, if you look out long and, and, you know, some people want to take it all the way to the top. I mean, you know, um, it's hard to dissociate Jeff Bezos from Amazon, right? For example. Right. Um, but in most cases, you know, you know, there are different people that, that, you know, really excel at different parts of that staircase. Um, and I mean, I think the, you know, the powerful thing is to really deploy people and, um, deploy yourself, uh, in, you know, those parts of that staircase where you are the most effective and where you're happiest. And, you know, I think that's, it's very different for different people. Uh, and, um, you know, kind of getting in touch with that is, 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 you know, is a very helpful thing to do. I also think about the end. Not, not in a morbid way, but like, what, what does a business have to become? Like, does it have to become a unicorn? Right. Does it have to become the market leader? And if the answer is no, then, you know, how do you, how do you stay motivated? Right. How, how do you find that kind of drive that, that wakes you up in the morning to, to climb that mountain, to carry, you know, go up those stairs. And I think it's just a, it's an interesting dynamic of founders where I, I will meet founders. I feel this sometimes like how big do we get? Right. I mean, bigger isn't necessarily always better. It's certainly a lot more complicated. I can attest to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, to start a business, you want it to, you want it to have an impact on the market and you want it to have, um, you know, you do want it to become a big substantial player in whatever space that you're in. You know, I, I mean, I do think that that is an important goal. Um, I think, you know, I do think there can be a question of like, okay, growth at what cost, right? Like, I mean, I think yeah. there, you know, some, some, you know, some companies, you know, there are instances where, um, you know, uh, you know, and this could lead to M&A where, or what have you, or some sort of transaction where it's like, oh, okay, like this is the value of this business. This is where it adds you know, the most value and it can contribute more to the industry or whatever mission it's trying to address in combination with some other company, for example. Um, I think that's a perfectly valid outcome. But I think, you know, going in, you want to build something that can be, you know, big and impactful. Obviously, if you're raising money from investors, it's critical that, you know, they obviously are going to want to see that opportunity. And so, um, you know, I there's there's no question that these businesses are 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 launched in order to become you know, substantial and be rewarding from an equity standpoint. Um, but that's not the only way you measure a mission driven business. It's really, you know, who are, you know, you're really impacting people. Are you making a difference, you know, in, you know, in whichever problem that you're trying to solve? I mean, I think, you know, it's sort of those two goals side by side is really what makes a successful mission driven business. And you feel like you've achieved those goals with legends and then that gives you the comfort to go forward to something new. Yeah. I mean, we're in, it's achieving it, right? Like, so, I mean, sure. it's, you know, the, the story of legends is still go is, you know, it's going to continue to, to, to grow and, and blossom. So yeah, I mean, it's already had a very measurable impact on millions of students, but um, it's going to keep going. Right. So I try to set things up, you know, in a position where, you know, you can bring on other people and, you know, hand it off to and, and really trust that they're going to take it forward to the next stage of, of growth and of impact. Um, 
I think you you need to build things that way, right? Like you 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 know, it's important to build businesses in such a way that they are yeah, obviously the founders and all the employees impact it, but you need to build it in such a way that it's not dependent on those individuals long term or forever. Um, you know, you you know, you can you see this all the time. I'm sure you've encountered businesses like that where you know, really, in some cases, you know, really they they fail after people leave and like it's important not to build it that way i think you know lens of learning is a great example it has a very strong foundation um you know different key team members have changed over time the mission stayed the same you know the core principles have always stayed the same and um and that that's what builds you know that that's what creates a strong lasting business when you, you when you can you know start to replace key people and have it go forward have it continue in its mission you know that's a sign of success you know i that's how i view it so you leave a successful chapter to turn anew at a legacy business in Hooked on Phonics, right? I couldn't think of, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like I'm out on a limb to say that it was probably the first that I can remember supplemental instruction tool that moms and dads could purchase for their kids for them to do instruction at home long before a time when personalized instruction was common when, you know, education systems were very much geared towards the general, which was appropriate at the time. Uh, is there a mission there for you? I mean, what, what brings you back? Yeah. So, I mean, Hope to Finance is a great company. Everybody, you know, has a tremendous name recognition. Um, you know, throughout the United States, you know, almost everybody is in a sort of Hope to Finance. So many people that we encounter, um, you know, as adults, you know, used it as kids. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, you know, the idea, you know, we started working on this, um, you know, really about a year ago, uh, to really kind of conceptualized with Hooked on Phonics, you know, how to, uh, really bring it into classrooms. Um, and, you, you know, the, the timing is good there because there's a, um, you know, the, the movement of science of reading has really become, um, you know, extremely you know, pervasive and now, you know, lasting within um, the K-12 world in the United States. Um, so it's very consistent with what, you know, Hooked on Phonics has been doing, science of reading, you know, phonics instruction um, for decades. And yeah. so, you know, it was kind of a situation where the, you know, the K-12 world was moving towards Hooked on Phonics in that, in that direction. So it seemed like a very good time to, you know, sort of take the core material that it's been that has been used in millions of households and really wrap it around a an experience um you know sort of a, an educator experience to wrap it in that to enable it to be used in classrooms so that you know people can you know so that it's not just a parent you know utilizing with their with their one or several kids and and being able to track that being able to you know for a teacher to be able to track you know dozens of kids and really you know see progress and um, you know, all the things that you really need to do in a classroom to make it, su it successful. Um, but it utilizes the same, you know, the same basic methodology that has been, you know, proven through decades of research to be effective. Um, it's not the only thing you do, like as, as with Legends of Learning, you know, nobody's saying that you, you know, you sort of do, you know, this, you know, you do this program all day, every day. But as a component, this type of systematic instruction in, um, in teaching kids to read is, you know, highly, highly successful. Um, 
obviously there's a big issue in this country. People have read up, you know, all, all the news about, you know, learning loss during COVID and, and reading scores and all those things. So, um, you know, it's certainly one of the very biggest challenges in K-12 today is really, um, you know, teaching young elementary students to read. Um, and so, yeah, it's really exciting to, you know, to try to take, uh, you know, help take this, you know, home-based product and bring it into classrooms. It's, I think, one of the most unique components of an education market, whereas it's always cyclical. In the STEM, right, and then it became STEAM, and everyone thought, oh, well, STEAM, this is this new concept. Like, STEAM is just what everyone was teaching beforehand, right? Now they're just giving it an acronym. Science of reading, when I first heard it, uh, I was like, science of reading? What is science of reading? It's fanatical reasoning. Right, learning through sounding out words and this other components. It was like hooked on phonics, you know, and and it's just the market kind of finds ways to recycle itself and improve itself. Unlike no one's going back to the original IBM computers. That market seems to only move in one direction. So it feels like you're you're right back at the the groundbreaking level here, kind of doing what it seems like you're always doing, building. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, just to finish the point of science of reading, not to dive, dive deep, too deeply in that, but it's really a body of research. Um, that That's really what it denotes. Um, and the, you know, the, the, the point is that, the, you know, that there is an enormous amount of, of research and data developed over decades that that show that systematic instruction in combination, uh, systematic instruction and learning to read in combination with other things that promote, you know, the joy of reading and expose kids to different content and, you know, that, you know, to get out of that sort of very technical systematic instruction, it's that combination that's really effective. Um, and um, yeah, I think um, the, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think in some ways the, the K-12 you know, community did get away from it in some ways, um, not entirely, but, you know, to a significant extent over the last, um, you know, 20 years or so. And, um, you know, but that research was always there and it's continued to, you know, the body of research has continued to build to the point where, you know, it became, you know, sort of an imperative to, to, mm -hmm. you know, really, um, formally bring it back and make it, you know, in the classroom to, to sort of formalize it um, as a key instructional tool in early education. Sandy, incredible episode. We get all of our guests out on what we call the fast four, kind of rapid response and the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Okay, let's do it. As an entrepreneur, what trends are emerging that interest you? I mean, I think in general, the, 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 the leveraging of technology to solve big societal problems is incredibly interesting. So like there's demographic shifts that are occurring today um, in the U U.S. and worldwide population. I mean, I think that's going to bring enormous challenges and opportunities to really innovate in areas that have not had a lot of innovation. Like education has, is a great example of that over the last 10 years, um, you know, enormous impact on innovation. But I think there's other industries also that are ripe for that kind of, you know, that kind of, that kind of innovation, particularly with demographic trends. One place in the world everyone needs to visit. 
Israel <laughs> through yeah. a combination of incredible history, um, archaeology, uh, entertainment, culture, music, food, um, and great launching off point to to other places in the Mediterranean. Go visit Israel. It's a great share. That's the first for that for the series. Greatest area of growth for you in the coming year. Um, really, it's back to early launch. So go to market. So the the biggest thing I'm trying to do right now is um, is that you know the things we talked about earlier, product market fit, early go to market, really prove that out. What 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 are you listening to? What 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 do you fill your free time with? If such a thing exists, it's funny. I as I was starting, you know, as I was kind of clearing my head, I went back to a classic, um, the Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Um, I know it's wow. uh, you know, I know it's funny to think about, but um, you know, you know, read it and heard it, you know, numerous times in my life, but um, I just thought it was like a good time to to sort of try that again and really you know, some of those key lessons beginning with the end in mind, you know, I think is, is really important when you're, you know, starting something new and really taking something, you know, new to market. And so, um, yeah, that was just really topical for me right now. Sandy, thank you for sharing a powerful story. We wish you incredible luck on your next venture and appreciate you joining the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Adam. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining today's episode of Capital Class. If you're interested in joining our next discussion, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Capital Class is a venture with the Strategist Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of shows, visit strategistgroup.com. I'm Adam Geary. Class is closed.